Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast that you're listening to right now, thank you so much, called Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. It is a daily podcast, 365 days a year, and each day we talk to an author about all of the things related to their career, their book, their life, and more in 30 minutes or less, because who has time? I am now an author myself, although I wasn't when I started this podcast, and you can get my new memoir, Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature, wherever books are sold starting July 1st, and my children's book, Princess Charming. You can learn more about me at zibbyowens.com, but really, you're here to learn more about the authors, and that is what we're going to do. Also, be sure to check out all the other podcasts in the Zcast Podcast Network. You can learn more at zcastnetwork.com and definitely check out those shows as well. Dr. Ibram X. Kendi is the author of How to Raise an Anti-Racist. He is one of America's foremost historians and leading anti-racist scholars. He is a National Book Award winning and number one New York Times bestselling author of five books for adults and three books for children. Dr. Kendi is the Andrew W. Mellon Professor in the Humanities and the founding director of the Boston University Center for Anti-Racist Research. He is a contributing writer to The Atlantic and a CBS News racial justice contributor. He is the host of a new action podcast, Be Anti-Racist. In 2020, Time Magazine named him one of the 100 most influential people in the world. He was awarded a 2021 MacArthur Fellowship, popularly known as the Genius Grant. He is the author of The Black Campus Movement, which won the W.E.B. Du Bois Prize, and Stamped from the Beginning, The Definitive History of Racist Ideas in America, which won the National Book Award for Nonfiction in 2016. 
At 34 years old, Dr. Kendi was the youngest ever winner of the MBA for nonfiction. He grew up dreaming about playing in the NBA, and ironically, he ended up joining the other NBA. Dr. Kendi also produced five number one New York Times bestsellers. How to Be an Anti-Racist, an international bestseller, has been translated into several languages and made several best books of 2019 lists and was described in the New York Times as the most courageous book to date on the problem of race in the Western mind. He's also published many academic essays in journals and op-eds in numerous periodicals, including the New York Times, the Atlantic, Salon, Time, and many more. He has commented on a series of national, international, and local media outlets like CNN, ABC, CBS, BBC, OWN, BET, and Sirius XM. A sought-after public speaker, Dr. Kendi has delivered thousands of addresses over the years at colleges, universities, bookstores, and more places. Dr. Kendi strives to be a hardcore anti-racist and a softcore vegan. Dr. Kendi is also the author of Goodnight Racism, which was also published at the same time as How to Raise an Anti-Racist. Dr. Kendi lives in Boston, Massachusetts. Welcome, Dr. Kendi. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss how to raise an anti-racist and also Goodnight Racism. <laughs> well, thank you for having me on. <laughs> I have to tell you, I read this book to my kids and my daughter was like, but no one's racist. Why would, like, what's the, and I was like, that's so great. I was like, well, you know, some people used to be, in the olden days, people did feel badly. And they're like, but they're just, people just have different skin tones now. And I'm like, well, <laughs> like learning moment here, <laughs> which you would uh, have lots to say about. So anyway, if you were in that moment with my daughter, what what would be the perfect thing for me to have said? Well, actually, well, first, that's one of the beauties about books is in that like it sparks those those conversations with with our children um and i would have actually asked her so what is it what do you think it means to 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 be racist Uh, i did ask her that i did ask her that so she knew uh, the definition you know yeah and, and and really sort of just talk through the the definition especially you know she says that and and then start maybe pro- providing examples of people or instances in which people may be, in which people may be, the, the definition may apply or it may not apply, right? And, you know, to really get her or to get a ch- our child sort of thinking, which also is great for critical thinking, which, you know, is great to sort of prevent prejudicial thinking. Okay. Well, I didn't mean to start by totally putting you on the spot there, but anyway, (laughs) now that we've worked our way through that, your book was not only really helpful and instructive and interesting, thought-provoking, all that good stuff, but there was so much memoir in this story. There was so much personal experience weaved throughout, which I found so compelling. And the story that you talk about with your wife and your pregnancy and her pregnancy and having to stay in the hospital for all those months, which I had twins, so I relate to the bed rest thing, no fun at all. And the fear and the NICU, like all of the things that you went through and then how you could use every moment as an example of something else through when your daughter was born and the playgroup or daycare that she went to. I mean, everything in your life and then your cancer, which I didn't I mean, that was horrible. I'm so sorry you had to go through that too. I mean, I feel like I went on this whole journey with you in this book, <laughs> which I wasn't expecting. I thought it would be more like a nonfiction. I, I just didn't expect to find so much of you and your heart and soul versus your academic sort of thinking in this book. And it was just amazing. It was so, why did you do that? Tell me about it. Tell me how, how this whole book came to be. 
Well, I, I think that to, to, to be anti-racist and even to raise a child to be anti-racist is, is not a static sort of thing. It is indeed a journey and it, it, it's a process. It's a behavior. Um, it is us reflecting on the times in which we made mistakes and, and we need to say things better or do things differently. And, and I wanted to sort of convey that movement, that sort of process. Um, and I also, particularly as a, as, a, as a parent who also studies racism and talks and, and engages with people all the time about being anti-racist, I wanted to talk about how this was difficult for me, too. Yeah. And the difficulty and the fear that parents face is normal. Like, you know, and it's even something that, that I had, but, but that shouldn't prevent us uh, mm -hmm. from having these tough conversations with our children and protecting them uh, by teaching them about racism. Interesting. Well, throughout the book, you gave many examples and healthcare for Black women and pregnancy and statistics related to you know fetal health and all of these things, like everything related to something personal in your story. And even your brother's sort of misdiagnosis at first. I loved that story when maybe you could tell it probably better than me of when the teacher called home and said, why is your why is your son not talking? And I guess your dad was like, what are you, like, what are you talking about? Are you crazy? You're, like, you're, he talks all the time. Like, what's going on? And how like learning disability and like, speech impediment, all this stuff. Tell me about that moment and, and how that's an example, like a learning moment that you shared in the book as well. Well, yeah, my brother, I believe when he was in fourth grade, I think 10 years old, he was not speaking that much. In, in class, and and we suspect he wasn't speaking that much in class because the teacher wasn't respecting him. was was thinking that there was a problem. He potentially was 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 she was thinking that because he was he was black. And and what we find, according to studies, is that when young children are experiencing bigotry, they they typically it typically leads to sort of depression. It mm -hmm. typically causes them to close up. It certainly doesn't allow them to be expressive. And, and so we suspect that's what was happening in, in that class. And for, I believe, seven and a half years, my brother had been diagnosed with uh, being with, with having a learning disability and was uh, going through special education classes as a result. But that teacher, we suspect, was very pivotal in that school, actually trying to change his diagnosis to what's known as intellectual disability now, or what was then mental retardation, which was a more serious and stigmatizing, you know, sort of diagnosis. And, and we think it was all because of their relationship, right? Because he was responding. And, and it just goes to show how, particularly for kids with, with, with disabilities who who may not be, have the ability to express what's happening to them. We have to protect them too. We have to actually be even more protective, you know, of them because they are facing, they're facing racist discrimination. And I wanted to really document how all different types of kids are facing it. So if you're, if you're a teacher who is, who is white and you believe that, you know, white people are naturally smart, and you have a child who indeed has a learning disability. You can't even fathom that because the child is white. So you're not going to allow that child to get 
to get services and, and, and help that, that child would be. You had so many amazing passages in the story of your life, basically. Oh, tell me about more about when your daughter started daycare and she would only play with the white doll and what that brought up with you and your wife and, you know, all of that and how it started with you guys laughing and then she kept playing with the doll. And <laughs> Yeah. So if, if I think if many parents, particularly if many white parents fear their child like one day saying something that's racist and sort of embarrassing and bringing shame to the family then what many black parents of black children fear is their child um, sort of internalizing the idea of white superiority and i when my child was a little over one years old, I remember going to pick her up from daycare and she was playing with a white doll. And, uh, you know, I put the doll to the side and she sort of cried, but she came and, and we went home. The next day it was harder to get the white doll <laughs> out of her hands. And each successive day that week, it got harder and harder to the point in which she had an all out tension tantrum and didn't want to leave uh, the doll and didn't even want to come home, which was different because whenever we would arrive, she'd be happy to go with us. So we were like, what's, what's going on here? Like, it's just a symbol that she is, 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 you know, is, is, is internalizing this, this idea of white superiority. And we didn't know, but what we found out the fifth day, which was the day that both of us came and she loves it when both of us come to pick her up. So she actually put the doll aside and came and, and hugged us. We feel like we won at least one round. <laughs> and after that, I actually went around to the toy chest in the daycare and saw that every doll that they had looked white. So she didn't even have another option. And I used that, you know, in the book to talk about that for even a one-year-old, the environment that we're raising them in, the dolls that we're choosing for them, the books that we're choosing for them, even the people that we're choosing to be around them are making a difference or could be making a difference and is shaping them to, 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 to understand like who they value. And they may not even have a choice in the matter, mm -hmm. uh, which in that case happened to, to my daughter. And we should allow our children to, to, to young children to see the beauty of the human rainbow by allowing them to see, to see us all. Very true. So did you, what did you end up doing? Did you get the daycare any more dolls? What did you do? Oh yeah, they they I, I let them know. Okay, <laughs> and, and they made a change. <laughs> uh oh, <laughs> does she still go there? No, she's too old now. She's yeah, she's she she continued to go there. They made the change. I think they recognized, uh, you know, that that was a problem. Okay. <laughs> okay, making changes. This six months of chemotherapy followed by surgery that you went through and having to recover. The scene at home when you got back and you were on the couch and your daughter was so sad and crying seeing you laying there in your robe tell me about tell me about that moment and and how it feels to parent through pain of your own and fear for your own mortality i mean that you had stage 4 cancer i mean that's so terrifying i'm so sorry you had to go through that yeah it was uh, so after the surgery and i you know i came home or well, after not only the surgery but also you know a week in the hospital you know, I came home and of course I had bandages on, on my, my belly and, you know, I'm sitting on the couch um, with a, a robe and my sort of chest open. So my, my daughter came and can see the bandages and she started looking at the bandages. I believe she was about two 
two and a half years old. And she just started, you know, crying. And I was, of course, asking her, you know, what's wrong and what's wrong. And, you know, she wouldn't say. And eventually, you know, I asked her, I was like, do you want to have, do you want some bad bandages like daddy? And, you know, she, she stopped crying and started sniffling and said, yes. Um, <laughs> and so my, my partner, Sadiqa, who was there, went and got her bandages and, and she started putting them on her sort of belly in the same place that, that I had mine. And really for the next few months, there was no gift she liked more than band-aids. And in a way we healed together. And, and that, that story I sort of shared in the context of empathy mm-hmm. and how studies show that, you know, at two years old, our kids start understanding and learning empathy. They could feel what other people are feeling. But, but studies show that we also have the capacity to either nurture empathy or sort of block its growth. Mm-hmm. And to nurture empathy is to nurture a child who can look at someone who doesn't look like them, who doesn't worship like them, who doesn't live near them. And when they see that person hurting, they hurt. That's the type of anti-racist empathy we have to nurture in our children. Interesting. Yeah. My daughter is so sensitive that uh, the other day she said, I, I, sometimes I don't like to draw the number eight because an eight just seems sad. So I start feeling sad for the eight and cry. And I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> I can't. That is great. I, I mean, can you imagine if all humans were like that? I mean, oh my gosh. If we had that, if we felt that deeply. Yeah. No. <laughs> imagine even if all my kids felt like that, I would never get out of the house. It's like impossible. <laughs> You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Okay. So in the beginning, you set up this, your whole construct, which many people were already, I'm sure, familiar with from your other book, which everyone in the world probably has at this point, (laughs) which must make you feel really good. But how it's not enough to not be racist. You have to actively be anti-racist, which is something different altogether. So for anyone who's not as familiar with this, could you just explain what the difference is? Like take a scenario and explain like if you were being racist, not racist, and anti-racist in such and such a setting, like 
and what you should really be doing or what the main takeaway is for people who want to raise anti-racist children? Well, I mean, if you, I think the starting point of any serious conversation about race and racism should be with a racial disparity. So, you know, Black people being disproportionately impoverished in this country. The, the question is why? And so some people who are going to express a racist idea to explain that disparity by saying Black people are poorer because they're lazier, they don't work as hard, there's something wrong or inferior about Black people. To take an anti-racist position is to say that the cause of that disparity between those groups, and not we're not talking about individuals, but between groups, is this history and even the presence of, of racist policies and, and, and practices that are causing these disparities. But going back to the first person who would say, well, it's because Black people are lazy. When people point that out, the typical response that we have is, no, no, I'm not racist. So when somebody says, you know, you just said a racist idea, the typical response is just to deny it. But there are times in which someone who's striving to be anti-racist expresses a racist idea, and they have a different response. And that is to, to think about it, reflect on it, and admit, you know what, yes, that was a racist idea, and I'm going to change, and I'm going to be better. And that's another reason why, in, in how to raise an anti-racist, I, I wanted to really show the mistakes that I made as a parent. Even the, 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 some of the mistakes that my parents made in terms of raising me and certainly teachers so that people can see people making mistakes and growing and developing and changing. And, and, and that's really the process of being anti-racist. Did you see yourself as a child becoming this advocate and, and lightning rod and I don't even know the right words, expert, I guess that's a better word complete expert and changing world thinking around this topic? Like, would you have predicted that when you were eight? Like, what'd you want to be then? No, I would not have predicted that. <laughs> if, if it was up to me, I'd be, when I was eight years old, I would have been preparing to play with Steph Curry in the NBA finals. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I, uh, I certainly, even by the time I got to college, uh, I wasn't necessarily, you know, thinking that this route you know, was, was, was for me. But I think once I really started studying just the vast amount of, of inequities and injustices and violence and, 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 you know, young and old people thinking there's something wrong with them as a, or superior about them, as opposed to the problem being more policy and structural, the, the more I gravitated to, to understanding it, to wanting to speak about it, to wanting to abolish it. Did you find this path easy or hard to achieve? Like, because you, you've essentially created a niche, if you will, right? That's like, and you are also, you know, a historian of African history and you've written like, what, five bestsellers? I mean, what can you not do at this point? Did you, did the path seem clear to you as you were going through it? Or was it difficult to sort of pave the way? It was difficult. And it, you know, it remains, you know, difficult. You know, even now, because I think my work has, sort of broken through and is reaching everyday people of different backgrounds, different ideologies. You know, there, there are people who, who would rather things to remain as they are. And, and so instead of engaging with me and engaging with the work, they distort and misrepresent the work and then attack it. Um, 
And how do you respond to that? I can't like respond to something I didn't say or don't believe. So that's what's been probably the hardest, you know, part. But I also know that there's a history to this. And, and you know, I as a historian, I, I know that during the enslavement era, slaveholders and even Jim Crow segregation, Jim Crow segregation is literally legislated for ignorance. Mm-hmm. And, and not just ignorance of, of Black people, even ignorance of, of many white people. And, and to keep us divided, to keep us thinking that, that, that we're each the problem as opposed to those who are ruling us. So this is, you know, heavy intellectual critical thinking. What do you do to get away from this? Like, do you still play basketball? Like, what do you like to do when you're not engaged in this? How do you like release, let go, have fun, whatever? So I think I've hung up my sneakers, so I don't play (laughs) basketball as much anymore. But I, of course, watch uh, sports. I watch basketball and, and baseball and football. I read a ton, you know, and I think reading for me is probably the most peaceful thing that, that I do. You know, I, of course, exercise, try to enjoy family and friends. And, you know, I'm my, my wife, she, she, it's always interesting when, whenever in public light, someone sort of says that I'm so serious because privately, I'm, she says I'm a goofball. And I, you know, I mean, <laughs> Life is is certainly a life, one that where we should create joy. Um, but it's that joy and that closeness to joy that I have that I want everyone to 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 have, or more so, I, I want to ensure that no one is being blocked from that joy by the injustices of our society. And when you read for fun, what do you like to read? Like, what's something good you've read lately? Or? So I I tend to read books on race or racism or American history or, or, you know, or novels. Um, You know, I'm reading a book called Torn Apart by Dorothy Roberts, which is a really serious investigation of what's known as the child welfare system. And, And even though this system is supposed to protect children and families, you know, Dorothy Roberts, Professor Roberts actually finds that it's not. It's actually doing the very opposite. And she calls for a complete overhauling of it, if not elimination of it. And so it's, you know, I'm obviously, because I'm thinking a lot about children now, those are the <laughs> types of books that I'm reading. <laughs> Do you let your daughter watch TV, YouTube? Where are we on the Instagram? What, what, where are we on the screen stuff with her? So she watches this TV from time to time. But, you know, obviously we don't want to just sit her in front of the TV if, if possible. I mean, and, and I think that sometimes that's all we can do as parents, especially during the pandemic, you know, you know, but we try to, to, to move her away from that or to, to have constructive things for her. Right. I think my kids are like the biggest YouTube addicts. I, it's embarrassing <laughs> at this point. Yeah. That's like my son wants to be a YouTuber when he grows up. He's seven. So okay. like, I don't think that's a thing, but it's okay. You know, anyway. Okay. Well, having written so many books yourself, what advice would you give to aspiring authors? So I would, I would first give expiring authors the advice that when it comes to the book idea, you know, we have to figure out, you know, what we have to really be able to be extremely self-reflective and self-critical about the type of book that, you know, that we, based on our talents, could could produce. 
and that obviously the, the world could, could, could receive. And we can't sort of land on a book idea and then run with it, even though it may not match our writing style, our expertise. Um, and so it's just sort of making sure we're marrying like who we are and our expertise with our book idea is incredibly important. And then I, I mean, as a nonfiction writer, you know, especially I do a ton of research and preparation and outlining before I ever start writing. I, I personally, once I get to the point in which I'm writing, I want to f- believe, I want to feel as if literally that's all I'm doing. So I'm not having to think about what I'm going to write. I can just focus on the craft of writing itself. Mm-hmm. And, and that helps me tremendously, you know, to actually write, but it just takes a tremendous amount of preparation. And, and so I would just encourage writers, if you want to go down that route, to really prepare to write. Like anything else, we have to prepare. And, and then finally, I think there's the process of writing the book, and then there's the process of talking about the book. Uh, and it's almost like a completely different uh, animal. Yes. And necessitates different sort of muscles that we sort of have to, have, have to train as, you know, and use as writers. Yeah. People don't necessarily warn you enough about that. <laughs> Congratulations. You are now going to be a full-time marketing person. That's your job now. Go ahead. Have fun. <laughs> anyway. Well, thank you so much. I really was quite moved by your book. You're such a good writer. Your story is so powerful. Your ideas are powerful. And it's it's just it was just really amazing to get a chance to chat with you and all the discuss all the great things you're doing. So thanks. Awesome. It's great to, to chat with you and, and thank you for, for your work that you're doing. It's just an incredibly important time and I'm so glad you have, you have this podcast. Thank you. If you want to talk sports though, you have to call my husband, but yeah, <laughs> we have something on every night. I was literally just saying to him last night, I was like, it must be so nice that like you can organize your whole life around like what game is on and that there's always <laughs> something. And he's like, I almost didn't find something tonight. But then finally I went to this channel and there was this game on. I was like, oh, you. <laughs> So I'm so relieved for you. So anyway, all right. Well, take care. Thank you so much. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? 
elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.